We are in the book of Psalms. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. And we're going to be starting off in Psalm chapter 5. Psalm 5. And we see right away in Psalm 5, and as if you're just joining us, the, the headings that, that begin before verse 1, right in your Bible, it probably has Psalm 5, and then it says, For the choir director, a flute accompaniment, a Psalm of David. Those words are actually in the most ancient manuscripts that we have. So they, we consider that as part of, even the, as it was, after it was put together initially. So we look at these, and there's a lot of information that we can grab. Not all of them have that, but the ones that do can point to us that, with this. And since I can't play flute, we're just going to go into, the, <laughs> into the, the text. But it is a Psalm of David. And some believe, if, you, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks as we've been going through this in the first few psalms, we see that we were talking about several of them, or the first the three and four were penned by David during his time when he, was, when he was fleeing from and dealing with his son Absalom. And some believe that these following psalms that we're looking at tonight also do. I personally don't. As, as we're going to see, there's a lot of differences as we go through those. But David really still dealing with a lot of, a lot of anguish, a lot of, of personal turmoil as, he is, as we're going through this. And we begin tonight, let's look at verse, beginning of verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. Give ear to my words. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my voice. It's a, it's a common thing in, in Hebrew poetry, and the Psalms are certainly that, to repeat something, to make a statement. But I don't know about you. Do you ever get to that point in your prayers where you find yourself repeating it because you feel like... Uh, Maybe it's just bouncing off the roof that, the, that, 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 your, that your plea isn't, isn't getting through. And I, I, I want to I start there because it's an important thing. If, if we're feeling that, it, it, it's important that we don't ignore that. Because the Bible does tell us, and we know that, 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 that as followers of God, that, that, that our prayers make it to heaven. But it's important that we understand this because it says this in Psalm 66, Verse 17, I cried with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. Verse 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 also says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy or deaf that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It's not that he can't. But just like, you know, I mean, think about this as a parent. If your child was continually being disobedient, and you were trying to train them. You were trying to do, and then they came to you and said, yeah, could I get a piece of, sure, you can have a piece of cake. Sure, you can, if, if they were rewarded in the time of their behavior, they would think that it's okay to continue on with that. And our heavenly father, if, if there's iniquity, if there's sin in our life, if there's this, will be the Bible tells us that he is not going to respond to our prayers. Not that he can't hear. I got, 
my office right now, since I moved back across the street, is right next door to the youth room. It's actually part of the youth room. We built the little corner of the youth room out. And when they are practicing, like this afternoon, for worship practice, it's crazy. The walls are shaking. The wall, I mean, it's, it's, but I got the most amazing thing. I have these noise-canceling headphones. I put them on, and those little white noise that I have in the background is air, like if you're on an airplane, I can't hear a thing. I can feel it, but I can't hear it. But that's not, that's not this. It's not that he can't hear. It's that he, that he won't respond because of love, because of his love for us. Now, that can be a warning sign. That does not mean that that is necessarily the case. I'm just saying that it's an important thing that we all need to recognize. We need to go before the Lord, and that should be something that we should do on a regular basis. Lord, search me. Is there something in my life? Is there, is there anything that displeases you? Is there something in my life that's not Christ-like? That is something that I need to, to, to deal with so that you and I, that I can commune with you right, right here, right now? If that's the case, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're good with that and, and you're still feeling that, don't let that stop you. The Bible, the Bible tells us that God is anxious and eager to hear our prayers. And, but we see here that it's sometimes that you're just going through this. And, and I think part of this too is consider my groaning. That word can mean meditation, but as we continue to read, David is in a very sorrowful place. And I find great comfort in what it tells us in Romans chapter 8. When we are in that place, when we're just groaning, we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray. It tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Are you ever there? where you don't even know how you should pray in a certain situation. You're, you're, you're crying out to God and, and, and you desperately need him and David is in that place now, but sometimes you just don't even know, the words can't even come. Take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf and he's interceding perfectly because as God, the Holy Spirit knows the will of God for you. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We're praying for one thing. We're praying for this answer. We're praying for this direction. But God knows better. God knows best. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit interceding for us in that way. He's crying out to God. For to you I pray, the second half of verse 2. And that sounds probably pretty elementary. <laughs> of course, praying to God. But as we talked several weeks ago in, on, on the weekend, talking about prayer and the prayer that the Lord gave us as an outline as to how we should pray, it begins with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. Getting that settled in our hearts, who it is that we're talking to. We're talking to all-powerful, all-knowing, creator God, yet he is our Father. He is our heavenly Father. He loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. So yes, we go in, in humble reverence, but we go expecting an answer from our Abba Father, but expecting again a perfect answer from one who knows what tomorrow holds, knows what is down the road when we don't. He sees what we can't. He knows what we don't, and he, have, he has access to things that we have no idea about. And so he goes, for to you I pray, verse three, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. 
In the morning, I will order my prayer. I will set it before you. The idea there with the order is used even when the sacrifices were laid on the altar in a certain manner. Lord, I'm coming before you and I am ordering my prayer to you and eagerly watch. I Years ago, I read that in the New Living, uh, the New Living Version and I had it written on my whiteboard at work. Um, just to remind me, and it's, it's said this way, each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. I'm expecting God to do something. And David is here. He's saying, he's crying out to God. He's, he's pleading with God. He is laying it out like a, like a sacrifice on the altar before the Lord, and he is expecting God to move, expecting God to do something. Why? It even tells us, verse 4, 4, because you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Notice in verse 6, he addresses speaking falsely and deceit. Guys, God hates lying. It's one of the things that's listed several times in the list of things God hates, lying, deceitful tongue. He's laying it out, Lord, because of this, you won't stand silent. But notice verse seven, but as for me, that those, who are, those who are wicked, those are evil, but as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow down in reverence for you. Psalm 24 asks this question and then answers it. Verse 3 says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? David is saying, that's where I can go. That's where I am. So it asks the question, but here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, who has not sworn deceitfully, clean hands and a pure heart are required. I don't know about you, but my hands often aren't clean. And my, I, I, I think, Lord, what, does that rule me out? The great part about it is, again, as we prayed and as we talked at the beginning, we're clothed in his righteousness. It's not based on, on my, my efforts, my doing. It is based on the fact that I do have clean hands and a pure heart because he cleansed them. He purified it. Remember, oftentimes, and we still do, tell our kids, go wash your hands, go wash your hands. You know, they're coming in, they're going to grab food, they're going to unload the dishwasher. That's what, one of the things, Christina always, Zach, come into the, unload the dishwasher, wash your hands. Why? Because you're going to be touching the clean dishes to, to put them away. But wash your hands. And I started thinking about that. Do you realize we can't wash our hands? All we can do is make our hands available to bacterial soap and that type of stuff in order to have our hands washed. I can't do it, but I can make my hands available. The same thing is true here. I can't cleanse my heart. I can't purify my heart. What I can do is make it available to the one who suffered and died in my place to, to give me that gift and that availability to come. David comes here in verse 7, by your notice, by your abundant loving kindness, I'll enter your house. It's not because of anything that David has done. It's because of God's love. I'll bow down in reverence. 
Hebrews 4.16 tells us as Christians, because the fact that we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, because of what he did, that we can and we should draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And that is what he is doing here again, bringing his petition. Verse 8, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. And make your way straight before me, your way. Make it straight before me. David's son Solomon will write these words in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Hear David saying it will make your way straight before me. Solomon saying, you know, he will make our path straight. Same thing, when we're walking in his path, when we're walking in his direction, when we're following his guiding and his leading in his strength, our path is straight. There is nothing. Now, he turns again back to these that he was addressing back in verses 4, 5, and 6. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Notice again, he talked about being falsehood, deceitful. Here we're speaking of there's nothing reliable in what they say. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. He's obviously... What David is dealing with is someone who is saying things about him that aren't true, and it's causing a lot of hardship. It's causing a lot of difficulty. And we saw that happen several times in David's life early on before he is acknowledged in Israel as the king, and I believe that that's the setting in these several psalms as we're going through them, that Saul was constantly being fed information about David that wasn't true. And Saul already had a big concern about David because he knew that David was the one that should be on the throne. He knew that David was the one who slew Goliath. He knew all of these things. So when he starts hearing this stuff, it just fed into what he was, what he was wanting to hear. And that, just, that was causing a whole lot of problems for David. This is, so, this is very important, though. I think it's worth touching on. Jesus said that the mouth speaks of that which fills the heart. Our speech betrays us. When we, when, we, when we talk, we talk long enough, we're gonna reveal what is truly in our hearts. And we see here that, it's, that these ones, deceitfulness, and that in James, who never sugarcoated anything, says this, speaking of the tongue that is in our mouth, and again, he's not speaking of the muscle that flaps in our gums. He's talking about the words that come out, obviously. Verse 5 of chapter 3, James. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And no doubt this is again what's happening to David. Just a few things being said, and it's escalating. It's spreading. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. He says this, verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. And then he says this, my brethren, these things ought 
not to be this way. He says, does a fountain send forth the same from, from the same opening, fresh water and bitter water? And that's a, that's a very straight up and honest question with a very simple and straightforward answer. Should that be that out of the same mouth we're praising God and yet cursing each other or gossiping or slandering or saying, saying, saying things about each other? No. Those that are made in the image of God, those are that are children of God, He's, he's obviously, these aren't followers of God. These are, these are those that are faithful to Saul, trying to flatter, notice here, flatter with their tongue. But look in verse nine, it, does, it says that there is nothing reliable in the way. Their inward part is destruction itself. They're again going along with what Jesus said. From the heart is where these things come out. Hold them guilty, verse 10, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. Their own counsel, their own plans that they're making. Let them fall back in on themselves. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out. For they are rebellious against you. But let all to take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy and may you shelter them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For this is... For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. He is our protection. He is our shield. David, David calling out and, and resting on that. He's starting out, crying out to God, feeling all left out, all alone. Lord, Lord, hear my prayer. But he comes back to that knowledge of the truth that you're my shield. And the understanding that when, when they're speaking out against him, they're speaking out against God. David several times had the opportunity to kill Saul. He did not because he says, who can put a hand on God's anointed? He understood that, that that's God's job to take care of. But he also understood that he was God's anointed, that God had anointed him, that God had chosen him. And they're rebelling not only against that, but against God here. Psalm chapter 6. This is the first of what we, we call a penitential psalm where we'll see that, that, that David is, is broken and obviously being dealt with by God because of some sin. We're not told what that is. Later on in a couple of the others, we're told that it's because of the sin with Bathsheba. But this one we're not sure of. But God is certainly dealing with him, disciplining him for this, for something. It's the first one. There are several, as we'll go through. And again, for the choir director with stringed instruments this time, upon an eight-string lyre, to be specific, a psalm again of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Again, understand, he, 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 feel, he knows that there's something. He knows that there's something that's going on. He, he senses that God is angry or upset. And he's saying, Lord, don't, don't deal with me when you're angry. Don't, don't come down on me in your wrath. I don't know about, about you if you ever had that situation when you knew that you were in trouble as a kid and you were just hoping that mom and dad just let cool down a little bit before they came in and meted out whatever punishment it was. And as a parent, by the way, that's always a good thing. Time out, send them to their room, cool off for as long as it takes, and then go in 
and lovingly disciplined because that's how our heavenly father does. We, we see here that David, not quite understanding, don't rebuke me in your anger, nor hasten me in your wrath. Guys, God never loses his temper and comes unglued on his children. He does discipline. He disciplines, though, because he loves us. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks again. Now, David not understanding this. We understand this because we are on this side of the cross as children of God. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have... And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, as children of God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Not at all out of anger or wrath. Jesus took all of that. All of the wrath that you and I deserve because of our sin, Jesus took all of that. The Lord disciplines us now from a position, again, of love. Verse 7, it is for the discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you were without discipline of which you became partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If God's not disciplining you for your actions, he's saying you should be very worried. As a son, he will discipline you because, again, he doesn't want us to get out of line, but he also wants to, as it will tell us, to train us to, so that we're, we're ready for the future. Furthermore, what we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. That's God's desire. So that we can share in his holiness, understanding righteous and holy living to follow after him. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's God's heart behind discipline. And again, no doubt, same with, with David. He is being disciplined, but he's, he's, he's concerned. But notice verse two, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. I am weak. Notice he asks for grace. He's asking for mercy. He's not saying, Lord, deal with me as I deserve to be dealt with. Don't, just, just a little hint because I love you guys, don't ask God for justice. Don't, at, don't say, God, I want you to be fair. Don't ask for that. <laughs> ask for mercy. Ask for grace. Heal me, O oh Lord, for my bones are dismayed. He's, he's not only now dealing with all of the external things, he's realizing that there is this, this spiritual struggle now. And he's coming humbly before God. And my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O oh Lord, how long? How long? We need to understand that God doesn't ever do anything just because. He always has a reason. He's not dealing with David in a certain way just to, just to experiment, just to do things. No, it's, it's very specific, the reason why. And he asks, he asks this question, how long? And I don't know about you, sometimes I, I ask that too. God, how long is, it, is this going to take? 
how long do I have to continue to deal with this? And I, I got to tell you, for the most part, I realize that that answer is largely up to me. How long? Until I get it. Until I learn what it is that God wants me to learn. Until I embrace the truth that God is trying to teach me. Until I, until I finally say, okay, all right. I ask so often, God, get me out of this. The question should always be, guys, what, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? <laughs> we embrace that truth and we can move on then. Return, O Lord, he says, rescue my soul. Again, David with a lot of, just like Job when we studied Job, a lot of things that he didn't quite understand about God. Return, he never left. He never went anywhere. Sometimes in God's silence, we can think that he's left us. He's abandoned us. His promise in his word is that he will never leave us, never forsake us. So when there's silence, we have to embrace the fact that there's a reason for it. We need to press in even closer. Save me because of your loving kindness. Not again because of anything that I deserve, but because you love me. And then he's, then, he's then he's trying to bargain with God, trying to make amends. For there is no mention of you in death. And Sheol, who will give you thanks? If I die, I'm not going to be a whole lot of good to you. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to give you praise from the cemetery. I am weary with my sighing every night. I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Obviously, we, are dealing, we have some hyperbole, exaggerating to make a point, emphasis. This is poetry. Um, I have a couple of young people that I live with that have a tendency to really exaggerate things when they, when they want to make a point, when they want to advance the conversation and get it to, you know, there. And I can see that as, I, you know, every night I make my bed swim. I cry so much that my bed's actually floating in the room. But the point is that his grief is intense. Verse 8, depart from me all you who do iniquity. Now, we don't know why, but as I read that and I pair it together with the first part of the, of the chapter, Maybe the sin that God was dealing with with David had to do with some of the acquaintances that he was hanging around with, some of the things that he was involved with. Don't know that for sure, but I will tell you in my own life that when the Lord took me to a, a deeper walk with him, and it was after some intense time of really seeking him and, and really feeling that, 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 um, uh, that there was a disconnect that we were really struggling and, and really working towards something. And the Lord really spoke to me and made it very clear to me that there were certain relationships that I needed to, that I needed to stop, that I needed to stop being a part of. And interesting, all of these years later, there was, there was a group of guys that I used to get together with once a year and hang out with, and we'd play, we'd play golf together, and we'd watch watch. Uh, watched the basketball tournament together, and but it was having a very negative draw, negative pull on me, and I knew that the Lord was taking me in a new direction. So I finally had to call him up. The one year as we're starting to plan to get ready, and I just had to say, "Guys, I'm not going this year. I'm not going to be a part of it." And I told him why, and they were kind of like, "Oh, well, all right, well, that's cool for you." And they found, quickly found a replacement for me. It didn't hurt my feelings too bad, but but I'll tell you what, 
couple of, several weeks ago, one of them sent me an email and said, I just watched your Easter message online. And he goes, I can't believe what God is doing in you. So I was like, praise God. That's awesome. So you never know. And if we, we take a stand for something like that and we put it out there and the, the, the initial reaction might be, oh boy, you know, Brett's getting turning into a Jesus freak or whatever. And, and, but bottom line, you never know what that's going to mean and where that's going to go down the road. But don't know that that's the case from here, but he's saying, depart from me, all who you, you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. And it wasn't because he was weeping, it was because he was sincere. He was truly broken. We see, tells us in, in the New Testament that Esau wept, but his, he, he was just upset that he got caught. He was upset that he lost what he had. It wasn't, it wasn't because of true repentance. Obviously, David's was. The Lord heard. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. There's, there's that trilogy again. Three things, repeating the same thing over and over again there. Just again to emphasize the point. Prayer changes things, guys. But you know, oftentimes the first things it change, the first thing it changes is the one praying. And I, I see that happening here in David as he's praying, and the Lord changes his, his heart. Sometimes I, I heard, have you guys heard of the push prayer? Pray until something happens. That's the push prayer. David does. And then God does, all my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Chapter 7, a shigion of David. It's the only time, he, or I'm sorry, Habakkuk chapter 3 uses a similar word, but nobody really knows what it is. A shigion of David, Some like it's a, uh, meditation of others. It, I've read that a couple of things that said it's like an intense, like the, the music is supposed to be like really intense while they're doing this and, and nobody knows for sure, but a shigion, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. Now we don't have, there, there is no other record in the entire Bible of a man named Cush who is a Benjamite. Some think that it might be Shimei. We talked about him the last time. He was the one that when David was fleeing, when Absalom came into town, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, still loyal to Saul. And when he heard that David was fleeing from Absalom, he's the one that was running along the, the hill there, cursing at David and throwing rocks at him and everything like that. Some think that that's who it is. Others believe that it's actually Saul, King Saul that they're referring to, who was from the tribe of Benjamin, I, I, I guess when I'm reading through this, I would happen to believe that it's somebody who was very loyal to Saul, who again, slandering David, saying false things about David to Saul to try to stir up Saul's wrath to have him go after and try to, try to kill David again. Regardless, as we move through now, here again, David coming to the Lord, O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. Or, if you don't, he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. So he's basically saying, Lord, if you don't deliver me, no one will. If you don't deliver me, there is no deliverance. Verse three, oh my God, 
if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to my friend or have plundered him who without cause was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. He is, he is being falsely accused and he is trusting God. He is trusting in his protection. He's trusting for him to make judgment. And it's interesting when he says this, he says, if there's any injustice in my hands, if I'm wrong in this, if I've plundered him who without cause is my adversary, he's, he feels that this is all coming against him for no reason. I didn't do anything for this. But if I did, if I did cause this, if I did something to cause this, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Now that's a, remember I mentioned one of the, when we were starting this off, Selah, that's kind of one of the, it's, it's, it's a pause. We don't know exactly what it means, but it, most believe it, it's, it's a pause. It's kind of like to take a second to think about that. Think about that. How certain are you in your prayers in, in, would, in something like that? Lord, would you protect me and get them and stop them and knock it off? But if I'm at all at fault, let them overtake me. But we should be able to be that open before the Lord, right? If, if, Lord, you know my heart. You know where I am in this. And reveal to me if, there's, if, if I'm wrong. Show me if, if, if what I'm feeling isn't true. Arise, verse 6, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries. They are coming after me, and he doesn't take matters into his own hands. He says, Lord, you take care of it. And he acknowledges, because only you can. And arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the people encompass you, and over them return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. He's, he's saying, Lord, you're the judge. You, you bring everyone in, in front. You, you place your judgment over. You are the righteous judge because he's the only one who can judge rightly. He's the only one who knows hearts. He's the only one who knows attitudes. But notice what he says next. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. Now, obviously, David is not saying I'm sinless. I've never done anything wrong. I'm an absolutely perfect man. But what he is saying is, in this situation, Lord, vindicate me. Clear my name. Show this because I am innocent in this. I, my integrity is being questioned and called out, but, but vindicate me because of my integrity. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. Be but establish the righteous. For the righteous God, for the righteous God tries the hearts and the minds. Again, only he can do that. Only he knows. My shield is with God who saves the upright. God is a righteous or just judge. I think that's one of the 
the biggest misconceptions about God out in the world, that God is a just God. You hear all of these things all the time. Well, if God is so loving, if he's a loving God, and God is love, yes. God is merciful, yes. That's why we cry out for his mercy. He is so gracious. But the angels in heaven don't circle God continually, all the time, never taking a break, saying, love, 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 love. Mercy, 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 grace, 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 grace. They say, holy, holy, holy. And part of God's holiness, his otherness, is his justice. He can't turn a blind eye to sin. He cannot pretend that sin doesn't happen. And again, I think that's one of the biggest lies that the enemy has the world believing. That they can say, you know what? God is, God is love, and someday I'll just be able to stand in front of him and say, you know what? <laughs> Overall, I did okay. And he's going to say, oh, yeah, you did. And, and I love you, so come on in. It's funny how we wouldn't, we wouldn't accept that in our own criminal justice system, would we? I mean, can you imagine... If, if your close, lo close loved ones, a child, a, a sibling, a parent was, was brutally murdered and the murderer was caught, no doubt about it, it was him. He stands before the judge and he says, yeah, yeah, God, I did it. Now, you know what I did? I, I killed a few other people too. But th this is the first time I've ever done that. And for the most part, for the rest of my life, I'm overall a pretty good person. I mean, I help some people here and there, and I kind of keep my nose out of other people's business, and, and I promise I won't do it again. And if the judge says, okay, you seem like you're, you're pretty sincere about that and kind of like you anyway, so yeah, go ahead. You're fine. We'd be like, that's crazy. We would be, we'd be screaming, that is, just, that is not fair, but yet we somehow think as the world that that's how God's going to be. He can't. Because he is righteous, because he is just, he has to deal with sin. Notice the rest of that. God is a just judge, righteous judge, and a God who has indignation every day against sin. But he also has grace every day towards sinners. Because notice what it says, if a man does not repent. In his justice, sin must be dealt with. But in his love, he sent his only son to die for us, to take the penalty for us. Sin, the sin had to be paid for, but Jesus paid it all. And if we will simply repent of our sin and turn to Jesus as our Savior and receive the free gift of salvation, our sin debt literally, actually goes on to his account. And his righteousness is transferred to our account. That's what it's called, imputed righteousness. It is imputed to our account. It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness imputed to our account and our sin debt imputed to his. When he hung on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in eternity, 
the perfect union between father and son was in a way we'll never understand broken. Where God the Father turned away from God the Son and instead of this perfect love that they have, he poured out his wrath that you and I deserve on him. I know you guys here on Wednesday night are like, hey, pastor, we're the saved ones. That's why we're here on Wednesday. (laughs) Guys, we can't hear that enough. We can't hear that enough. We can't say it enough. We can't thank God enough. And I'm hoping that if any of you here tonight have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you're watching online, that you recognize that this gift is for you too. But you have to receive it. You have to receive it because God is a just God. And if you don't receive the gift that Jesus paid for in his own blood to give to you, you will face the wrath. That's the, those are the only two options. There's not a plan C. So if, you, if you've never done that, please don't leave here tonight. Please come up and talk with, with me or with Bob or, or, or even talk with somebody else around you tonight and make Jesus Lord of your life. Don't leave here without that. Look what it says here. If, if a man does not repent, notice, he, God, will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Don't assume that you have plenty of time. The Bible speaks over and over, and here's another example in poetic form, but the bow is bent, the arrow is drawn. You don't know if you will have another breath. The only opportunity I can guarantee you, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, the only opportunity I can guarantee you is this one, because don't know what tomorrow holds. Don't assume you have plenty of time. The only thing that is holding The only thing that's holding it back right now is the fact that God is patient and he is merciful. The Bible tells us that he is patient towards us, that he is not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's that's his heart towards us. But if we refuse it, we leave him no other choice. Verse 14, verses 12 and 13 is speaking when he's saying he, it's speaking of God. Verse 14, it's speaking of the sinner again now, the unrepentant sinner. Behold, he travails with wickedness and he conceives mischief and he brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own pate or on the crown of his head. The, what David is saying is all of these, these lies, these schemes, this gossip, this, all of this stuff that is going around ultimately is going to come back on them. Ultimately, that whole what goes around comes around type of thing is what he's speaking of there. I mean, we see instances of that very plainly played out. Mordecai, remember, he was going to have the, the gallows built, you know, and, and, and Haman ends up hanging, or Haman having them, having them built for Mordecai, and he ends up hanging on them. Daniel in the lion's den, right? They, they, the guys, they turn in Daniel to have him thrown into the lion's den. He's over there praying like you said, blah, blah, blah. throw him in. Guess what? 
Next morning, he's still there hanging out with the lions. They pull him out and throw the ones in that, that turned him in. Here he's saying the, the one who, who speaks wickedness, the one who spreads gossip, the one who's going around doing those types of things, be careful because that oftentimes has a tendency to turn back around and fall in on, on the other individual. Verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Notice it does not say, I will give thanks to the Lord according to my circumstances. No, I'm going to give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what I'm facing, regardless of what I'm going through, regardless of how many knives are in my back. Regardless of, of who's saying this or what's going on there, I'm going to give praise to God because he's worthy of it, because he's righteous. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. Now again, that's easy to do when things are going well, when things are going smooth, when things are happening the way we want them to happen, when God answers a prayer the way we prayed. Oh, thank you. But it says give thanks in everything. For, it tells us, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I love that. I have that underlined in my Bible, in Christ Jesus. Because, guys, the fact that as born-again believers, we are in Christ we should be thankful for everything. What else matters? We're in Christ Jesus as believers. And because of that, <laughs> we have a heavenly father who loves us, one that's watching over us, one that's protecting us. Our, our eternity is secure. I, I'm not very good at these things that as trying to remember, you know, give you four or five things that, that rhyme or that begin with the same letter or that type of stuff. I, love, I, I marvel at those guys that every week when I, those pastors that can just give you those things to take with you to remember, you know, and that type of stuff. So, but I tried. So here we go. Because we're going to get hurt as Christians. It's an unfortunate thing. But even in the family of God, things happen. People say things. There's situations that take place. So first of all, we need to, and I'm going to give us four things that start with H. First one, happens. Second, hurts. Third, him. Take it to him. Don't take it onto yourself. Don't take it against anyone. Again, learn from David. I just, I love this. This is going on. He takes it right to the Lord. All three, all three Psalms that we just read, the first thing he's going, oh Lord, my God. He's crying out. He's taking it and he's saying, you take care of it. In one of them, he's being dealt with and he realizes, you got to deal with me and we're going to work through that too. But Lord, you take care of this. And the fourth age, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Give, it, give praise to him in everything in everything, even in the middle of the trial, even in the middle of it, because he's righteous, because he's worthy, and because he's faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's leave it there. Father, thank you for the fact that you are faithful, the fact that we can come to you at any time. Lord, that there's no time that you're closed. There's no time when we have to 
wait in line or take a number, but that you're always eager to hear our prayer. And Lord, would you reveal to us right now as we come humbly before you, would you show us if there's anything in our heart that is, that is affecting, that's getting in the way of our communication, of our, of our intimate fellowship. Lord, I want to deal with that right now. Lord, we thank you that we have access to the throne of grace for any time we're in need. So Lord, we bring these things to you. We lay them at, our, at your feet, whatever it is that we're dealing with, and we trust you to take care of it. Lord, let us be patient as we wait for you to move, wait for you to act. We thank you that we can know, that we know that we know that you are always faithful. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. <laughs>